How long have you been 17? I am a vampire. And you are mortal. <laughs> Hello and welcome to This Podcast Sucks. The show where we take a bite out of the vampire genre. We'll be following all manner of fanged fiends through the past 127 years of film and television. From Nosferatu to Twilight, I'm your host, Tara. And I'm your host, Elliot. So, Elliot, today we will actually, in fact, not be talking about a vampire film, but we will be doing a first in our series of special episodes where either you or me select a movie, any kind Mm -hmm. of movie, that we are going to watch and discuss together. So for our first episode, my pick was Julia Ducournau's 2021 film, Titan. Elliot, had you seen this film before? (laughs) Um, I had not seen this film before, but I had heard quite a lot about it. Um, This is definitely... for our listeners... Who are wondering, it is the one where she fucks the car. <laughs> it is the one where she fucks the car. <laughs> she she actually fucks a car and a fire truck. Yes, um, I know. I was surprised when that happened, the, the, the fire truck happened. I was yeah, like, oh, She's okay. got rage. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. Well, not only is this the one thing that I thought was really interesting about this choice is that we are jumping so far ahead. Like... 90 years ahead in film (laughs) history and so yes this is the first color film that we've watched um it is yeah yeah so um yeah so i know i thought that was cool uh yeah i think that thank you for choosing this film because i had i've been meaning (laughs) to watch it since it came out um and so this finally got me to to do it and boy was it a ride i'm so happy to because it's also moved I had been meaning to watch for a while and hadn't, despite the fact that I was a huge fan of uh, de Curnow's first, uh, first feature-length film, Raw, um, mm-hmm. which is also a pretty out-there movie. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'd always, uh, I'd already really lo- enjoyed her work and had heard a lot about this and had finally watched it. And I, I knew you would like it as well. So I'm really excited <laughs> to dive yeah. into it. I also really, mm -hmm. really enjoyed Raw. That's a film I recommend to people all the time. And so, you know, when it came out, I was like, wow, you know, I I can't wait to see what this person does next. You know, this is such a striking first feature. Um, You know, like similar to when The Babadook came out, I was like, this director I'm watching to see where they go. Yes. So I think yes. that and, this is like a wild mm-hmm. <laughs> direction. It, it's such a it's such a superman sized leap from Raw. And uh but yes, I too was very excited to see what she would do next. And I was honestly getting a little worried after a while because Raw came out in twenty sixteen and Titan was filmed in I wanna say twenty twenty. It came out in twenty twenty one, so about a about a six-year gap and you know Mm -hmm. with first time especially female filmmakers it's just like oh god please like is she just not getting the funding or uh, for her projects she wants to do but I'm glad that wasn't the case and that after the success of this film she can hopefully do whatever she wants (laughs) 
Yes, yeah. Um, which will God God knows what she would do next, but um Yeah. So it would be um, interesting if her next film is like super by the books, like no horror elements, like it's like a straightforward drama. Yeah. Well, you know, watching Titan, like you could say there there are some elements of the sci-fi genre to it, but watching the movie the whole time I'm like, I really want to see Julia do a hard sci-fi film. Like I know yeah, she stayed kind really of more cool. in the lane of horror, but I'm like, I want to see sci-fi. Um, <laughs> yeah, so. like I want her to go to space. <laughs> I do want to see a Julia Ducker now <laughs> film in space. Yes, yes, do it. Um, yeah, she's. Um, I know she's kind of been compared a lot to um, David Cronenberg, which is interesting i think um yeah i saw that as well and unfortunately i have not seen crash so i like won't be able to speak yeah so so many people compared it to crash and Mm -hmm. yeah the fact that you haven't also seen it um also have not seen it i think is like one i think one benefit of that is that we really like to compare the work of you know, minority filmmakers to more famous men. Um, and that exactly, happens, yes. yeah, that happens to writers and directors of color as well as women. And so I think that the fact that we mm-hmm. are going to like solely focus on this film on its own kind of two feet without being like, oh, yes. well, like Cronenberg did this. So it's like, so cr- yeah. Also, it's just like, can we stop like any film that has an element of body horror? Can we stop being like, it's so Cronenberg. It's like, he's not the only one, guys. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Important figure in the movement, but there are others. Um, So, yes, I agree. And um, I will give some background information on this film. So... Uh, Titan was written and directed by Julia Ducournau. It is her second feature-length film. The cinematography was done by Ruben Impens, and the film was produced by Jean-Christophe Raymond. The cast includes Agathe, I believe it's Agathe Roussel as Alexia slash Adrian, Vincent Lindon as Vincent so uh, cool. playing someone with the same name uh, Garance Marillier I'm again sorry terrible French accent as Justine and uh, she was the lead in Julia's first film Raw mm-hmm. and she's a very very good actress I enjoyed seeing her and um, also fun little trivia fact but her character's name is the same as her character's name in Raw and mm-hmm. Alexia uh, the lead actor in this film has the same name as Justine's sister in Raw, so it's, okay. it's kind of fun, I think, when directors yeah. have uh, used the same names in their films. I was thinking and that's work with the same actors. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's see here. So production uh, began in 2020 um, after a brief pause from. Uh, uh, COVID. And so uh, the idea of the film apparently kind of came to Julia de Curnow, um in a recurring nightmare where she saw herself giving birth to engine parts. 
So she kind of built the film backwards from that final scene in the film and um, kind of wrote the rest going towards that. Um, so yes, the they made the film, and the film premiered at the Cannes Film Festival on July 13th, 2021. The film received critical acclaim. I have some excerpts from some reviews here. Um, Nicholas Barber from BBC gave the film four out of five stars and called it the most shocking film of 2021. In his review for Variety, Peter de Bruges called the film a cross between David Cronenberg's Crash and the uterine horrors of Takashi Mike's Gozu and praised Dukernau for her handling of the film's themes. In The Observer, Mark Kermode also compared the film to Crash whilst praising its cinematography and emotional depth and listed it as one of the best films of 2021. In a more negative review, Peter Bradshaw, writing for The Guardian, gave the film two out of five stars and compared it unfavorably to De Kernow's previous film, stating, everything is so labored and crudely directed and without the style and sympathy of Raw. And Jude Dry in IndieWire was also critical of the film, calling it a deeply misogynist movie with a healthy side of transphobia. So I don't know what movie he was watching, but okay. <laughs> I mean, I think that they're... Um... I think that this is very clearly a film about gender. And so Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I don't know that I would necessarily agree that this is like a deeply misogynist movie, but I think that this is a film that raises and explores gender in a way that the majority of mainstream films do not. And that this film is for you know for a few different reasons this film is not really that interested in telling you how you should feel about any of the things that are happening and so i can see mm-hmm. how someone yes. might interpret some of the things that happen in the film as misogynist but i wouldn't mm-hmm. you know i think that this film leaves a lot up to your interpretation mhm yeah i i definitely agree with that Um, So the film very famously won the Palme d'Or, which is the um, first place top prize that you can win at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, And like uh, apparently Spike Lee was there and supposed to announce, quote, the first prize, not the first place winner, first prize. But he misunderstood. And so he announced Titan as the winner of the Palme d'Or far earlier than when it was supposed to be announced. So... (laughs) A little cool. awkward, I'd imagine, but <laughs> a similar so that like La La Land, and... Moonlight, yeah, moment, with yeah. less oh, consequences, but <laughs> yeah, not as egregious as La La Land, but oh. Um, so Kurnow is the second female director to win the Palm. Jane Campion won for the piano in 1993, where she tied with Chen Cage for Farewell My Concubine. So uh, Julia was technically the first solo female filmmaker to win the Palme d'Or for this prize. And um, the fourth woman in total, because the prize was also awarded uh, to Leah Sidhu and Adele Excarchupolos for Blue is the Warmest Color, which was pretty uncommon to give the award for performances. Um, But yes, Mm -hmm. those two women, Jane Campion, Julia DeCurnow, four women. There you go. That's nice. that's all you need to. That's it. Need to know. Um, that's... Yeah, this is a this is a bit of a rewind, but Gozu is directed by a, a Takashi Miike. I think is how you say his Takashi name. Takashi Miike. Yes, I'm sorry. 
No, no, it's fine. My, um, my bad. Yeah. Because I've, I, I like that director. I, I, I like Audition. Um, but <laughs> well, the thing people famously say about Audition, I like it. <laughs> no like it's like i'm not gonna throw it on while i'm doing laundry but it's a you know it's a i'm just imagining the kind of person where audition would be their like laundry chores film well Um, maybe like the first hour where it's just like a very slow burn romantic drama um before the last 20 minutes uh so yes (laughs) all righty so, Elliot, should we get into the movie? Yes, yeah. Um, thank you for the background. I think talking, I think talking a bit about the history of um, Cannes Awards is great, just because um, the fact that she won the Palme d'Or is is so significant. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like nineteen ninety three. Like it's what is yeah that's it's almost 30 years almost 30 years yeah Yeah. for a second yeah female um, director it's embarrassing is truly what it is um it is and it yeah just speaks to the wider kind of systemic sexism racism just you know Mm -hmm. all kind of isms that uh are there in the film industry yeah because i think in that time um woody allen and oh god what's his name the guy who like can't who's like just been kind of living in america avoiding extradition polanski oh roman oh god yeah he's been in france i believe avoiding extradition i think that both of them have won awards at Cannes in the time between um between this and and i'm sure many other like men who have kind of had had uh skeletons in the closet and like sexual abuse Mm -hmm. kind of accusations um and i mean some of the like polanski it's not even it's not an accusation it's like there's you know yeah there's like a warrant or something um so yeah i think that it's it's definitely you know good to keep in mind um how rare it is that women get acknowledged for work like this so yeah thank you for Mm -hmm. bringing that up but yeah let's yeah dive right in where do you want to start (laughs) well let's start at the beginning i hear it's a good place Mm -hmm. to start Um, (laughs) yes i'm so sorry also i apologize in advance to our listeners i'm still recovering a little bit from the flu so if i'm a little coffee here and there i'm so sorry about that um so the film begins with close-ups of what else but a car engine mm-hmm. and which i thought was neat and you yeah. hear kind of this tinny country song playing which i i liked because i feel like that kind of i don't know that that use of country music with driving is like very, very common in mm-hmm. in terms of like driving scenes at least in american films um so I think it was interesting that this French film, you hear this country song, uh, this English country song being played while you see a bunch of close-ups of the car engine. And so the then we cut. Movie... Yeah. Oh, sorry. you. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I think the way that this, like music is something that I noticed throughout this film. I think that there are going to be mm-hmm. multiple times where we 
talk about the music that the film uses um, because I think it played yes. like an, an interesting role in the film. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Um, so we see our first shot of our main character as a child, Alexia. Um, so we see that uh, she is, you know, just kind of acting like a little kid. She's, you know, making loud noises. She's kicking her dad's chair who's driving and her dad seems so done. <laughs> yeah, so her dad seems really done. And so Alexia removes her seatbelt. Um, her father turns around to scold her and then there's a very sudden and, so- and uh, shocking crash. Mm-hmm. So we then jump cut to close-ups of Alexia at the hospital having surgery and getting a metal plate inserted into the side of her skull. And it is a titanium plate. Um, so then when she gets out of the hospital, um, you she skipped her, kind her of sh- the head cage that she's oh, in. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, so we cut to like this very, um, very I feel like this is going to be a pretty famous shot from the movie where she has mm-hmm. um, like kind of a head neck brace on. And um, her dad is just like looking at her very, very flatly. She's looking at him very flatly. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, the way she's centered in the frame with like the metal brace and everything, uh-huh. it's and it was cool. Her... It's kind of like yeah. oh. they're having her. Yeah, I think they're doing hands. like her yeah. hands, like testing her neuro, mm-hmm. um, her neuro skills or functioning. Um, but yeah, it's kind of I think an early indication of a theme in this movie, which is like the the integration of like the body with the mechanical mm-hmm. as we'll yes, see absolutely and predominantly through the car mm-hmm. and so the scene or the sequence ends with alexia leaving the hospital and very interestingly like showing a lot of affection to the car yes. <laughs> she she embraces the car and she kisses the window and she Which, pets it almost like a like a yeah. dog or like an animal. Um, yeah, kind of it's like I, I took it as like, I don't know, with this experience, she has this kind of connection to the car now or cars mm-hmm. in general, as we'll yeah. see going on. Well, I think because we. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that absolutely this is, I think, the most like the 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 moment that is most explicitly begins this relationship to cars but i actually think that there are some ways where it starts even earlier because you know as mm-hmm. you were saying like we have this title sequence that's um you know the kind of innards of an engine and there's the country music playing but there's also the sound of an engine revving yes. and then the camera cuts and we realize that she is the one making that sound. Um, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's like moments like that are really fun because, you know, something goes from non-diegetic to diegetic where you're like, okay, this sound Mm -hmm. is just part of, you know, like the, you know, we're being shown this kind of sequence and it's not really grounded in like the world of the film and then mm-hmm. the music is playing from the radio and she's making the revving sound. So it's like, oh, that was that yeah. was actually diegetic. Um, and those moments are always really fun. And I think. Yeah. And yeah. They really also. Blurring. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, sorry. I was like, I was going to say like already kind of that blurring of like body and machine. Mm-hmm. Like you think it's initially part of the, the engine and then you see it's Alexia making the noise. 
Um, so we cut to years later. Alexia is now an adult, and she um, the the camera often kind of prominently like shows the scar on the side of her head where she mm-hmm. has her titanium plate in. Um, so she now works as a showgirl at a motor show or a car show. Mm-hmm. And this was kind of like new to me. I didn't know this was really a thing, but as far as I could tell, like from my research, I've never seen like a car show where like mm-hmm. they were like doing, um, that kind of level of dance or performance. I think from at least what I've seen, it's much more, they're just uh-huh. kind of like standing by the cars and showcasing them but in the movie it, it, it's like a show like yes these... it's very it's they're i would not say they're not um they're not like stripping because they're keeping their clothes no. on but they are yeah. wearing what i would consider to be like outfits that you would see an exotic dancer like wearing in a strip mm-hmm. club um Mm-hmm. But they just don't take those clothes off. But they are, um, you're right. right that they are, it's it's very sexual. It's obviously, like, yes, meant to be titillating to the guys. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, um, yeah, we just get this, uh, it's one of my favorite shots in the movie, just this long tracking shot of Alexia going through the car mm-hmm. show while the music plays. And you see um, different dancers by different cars and what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, we briefly see Justine's character, um, who uh, was uh, uh, sexually, like, briefly sexually assaulted, and, like, one of the bouncers has to, like, kick the guy out. Um, so then we come back to Alexia, who's kind of coming in for, I guess, her shift, more or less, and then we cut to her doing the the dance on the car, and I think it's it's interesting how Julia DeCurnow, she said in an interview, like, she... She was like, yeah, I know it's very male gazey. I'm explicitly adopting the male gaze intentionally for this sequence, which, I mean, makes sense. I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't think that any of the women, like, they're, they're being objectified by, like, the male car show goers, sure. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think the, the object, like, I wouldn't say Julia's objectifying them if that yeah. makes sense i think that the dance is really interesting because she walks up to the car and then we cut to a close-up of her crotch in the hot pants and yeah. the fishnets yeah. and i was like mm-hmm. whoa um it's kind of like <laughs> oh, yeah. full yeah but then you know i think you know you point out this really lovely tracking shot where she goes through the whole show mm-hmm. floor and we're very mm-hmm. aware of the male audience but then when mm-hmm. we move to her dance and we have these, we stay pretty tight to her body and we actually don't see the people watching her that much. So in some ways yeah. it feels like, it feels less like she's dancing for the men watching and more like she's interacting with the car, I think in that moment. Yes, yes, I agree. I think Julia does an amazing job of kind of showing this um i don't know how to put it necessarily but like this cohesion of like the like alexia dancing with the car it's almost like you said she's like she's not really dancing for the onlookers like she's dancing almost with the car Mm -hmm. yes in a way yeah which was really interesting and uh 
yeah also i was just like impressed by the dance i'm like yes dang uh, wait hold on who is this actress hold on let me see um, yeah dang Agatha, you go <laughs> work it um so uh after the show uh Alec- oh well actually not after the show um we cut to alexia in the shower where she um justine is kind of trying to chat her up a little bit but alexia is very reserved and not really interested in talking mm-hmm. um but uh sh- her hair uh gets caught in one of uh justine's uh nipple piercings which oh gosh that just made uh, my, my chest like came and watching that I'm just like mm. yeah I was like this sucks <laughs> like I really hope she doesn't have her nipple piercing ripped out <laughs> and yeah like she rips the hair but like still it's like a tug but um the interaction is interesting because even though Alexia doesn't seem on seem very interested in getting to know Justine on an interpersonal level she does seem very fascinated by the nipple piercings which yeah. are these metal rings mm-hmm. which was um which was interesting and so yes Afterwards, um, some fans are loitering outside the car show a little bit, and Alexia comes out and heads to her car where the audience sees she is being followed by a um, male fan who kind of accosts her when she gets in the car, um, is a little too forward, um, and then suddenly confesses his love, which, oh boy, um, before... Yeah, man. It's like, oh no. Um, So he then begins to forcefully kiss Alexia and then Alexia takes out one of her hair, very long hairpins that she usually uses to keep her hair up, stabs him in the ear uh-huh. and kills him. Yeah. So just, did that, right, that I thought she was yeah. going to bite his tongue. Um, and then yeah. when she stabs him in the ear, I was like, that's so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. And he's just like foaming at the mouth and I'm yeah. like, ew, ew, ew. It was just like, <clears throat> yeah. So, um, so she kills him and she, I think she hides the body in her car. I want to say, or she, she puts, puts the body, the body in, the back in the her car, but then we never really see what she does she, with it. She disposed of it somehow, probably, um, Mm -hmm. of the body. So she returns back to the shower room because she is covered with basically a bunch of his DNA from his saliva Mm -hmm. and washes it all off. And then she realizes that the car she modeled with earlier has suddenly just like turned on all by itself. Mm -hmm. And so she comes out into like the big empty showroom and we just see the car and she like slowly approaches it gets in and then the car just starts kind of bouncing up and down and the lights flare the lights are flaring the all the lighting is so yeah i love how the car lights in the scene and we cut to the interior of the car where justine or sorry not justine alexia is having sex with the car which she proceeds to do until she climaxes Mm -hmm. so this is like one of the most famous scenes from the movie. Were, were you surprised by it, Elliot? Did you expect it to be kind of different? Well, I think that, I mean, unfortunately, because this film was so shocking and made such a big splash, I did know that she had sex with a car. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought <laughs> yeah. that um, I, you know, I was excited to see how that happened. And I did. I really liked the way that it happened because it felt very horror movie where you have a naked woman alone in the shower 
and she hears a scary noise and she Mm -hmm. goes to investigate um and she's like fully nude dripping water when she walks to the car and then gets into it and i think that what's interesting to me about that moment is that typically that would be a kind of scene where like the woman is very vulnerable you know like one of our most Mm -hmm. iconic horror moments is um god i can't remember her name but the woman who gets murdered Uh, in the shower in psycho yeah janet lee who played marion crane yes um marion yeah like when she gets murdered in the shower we're like we have so many images of women naked in showers about to have some sort of like active violence wrought upon them but we have yeah. just seen her brutally murder a man almost entirely I, I was in cold gonna say, blood. yeah yeah we already see kind of the subversion of you know what we would initially see mm-hmm. as like a woman in a vulnerable position being stopped by someone mm-hmm. and the film turns your head on that basically yeah. and has her I kill also... him yeah, I also think that the way the sex itself is shot is interesting because mm-hmm. we we see the car and it's kind of bouncing up and down, which has a bit of yeah. silliness. But then we cut to the inside and she, we see her from like just below her breasts up. And mm-hmm. she like one thing that I really liked about the shot that I thought was a beautiful detail is that the car has these like custom bright red seat belts that she's completely mm-hmm. wound yeah. around both arms. Um, mm-hmm. Almost like she's in bondage, but she's yes. the one who wrapped her own arms and she's using that to like brace herself, kind of so she can fuck the car even harder. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I like that there's this constant engagement with the way that we are used to seeing women in horror films and you know like the power of this character um and Mm -hmm. you know her kind of strangeness because so far she's been very i think that this is the most emotional up to that point in the film this is the most emotional that we've seen her she has a very flat affect before the car crash and at the hospital and then, she, and then, even when she's dancing, her facial expressions are pretty neutral. And then she's very mm-hmm. rude in the shower to, mm-hmm. you know, to Justine. Justine. Yeah. And even when the guy starts kissing her, there's this moment where at first she just kind of seems like, oh, whatever, this groupie. Um, but mm-hmm. then she does start making out with him. But even then, yeah. it feels kind of cold. So. I think that the fact that this, yeah, yeah, this moment with the car is the first time we really see her have, like, an intense emotion that is expressed outwardly. I thought Mm -hmm. that that was also a really interesting choice. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. And um, I'm sure later on we'll kind of go into what we think having sex with the car means, because a lot of things in this film, I don't like, are not supposed to be taken literally, Um, which... I appreciate because um, I think a lot of films kind of try to hold your hand and this is definitely not one of those films. Um, this film is pushing you off a cliff. <laughs> this, this film is pushing you off a cliff. And as you're pointing out, like this character is very hard to kind of initially connect with mm-hmm. um, as we'll see going on because 
uh, it is revealed that Alexia is a serial killer. Um, we see her at home where there are a bunch of news reports about missing men and women, um, I think, in the area that have disappeared in the past few months. And I think mm-hmm. it's supposed to be pretty strongly implied that she has murdered these people. Mm-hmm. Um, she still lives with her parents, and um, they seem they seem pretty distant from her, I think. Yeah. I'm curious to explore later on the the father daughter relationship with her um, with her biological dad as opposed to kind of what forms with her and Vincent later on in the film, mm-hmm. but as kind of a comparison. But her dad, um, you know, it, it's been years since the car, but he still seems just pretty much done with her and like he doesn't want anything to do with her. There's a scene where she says her stomach doesn't feel good. Her mom says, have your dad examine you. And you just see him wince, like, ah, don't make me touch her. Um, And then she tries to force, mm -hmm. he, like, pulls his hand away, and she grabs him and puts it back on her stomach. Like, I got the, you're right, that he seems done with her, but I also almost got the feeling that, like, he knows that there is something wrong with her or that she is not that yeah. she is not someone who can be um the surface is not the truth you know i think that he knows mm-hmm. that there's something very different about her um compared to mm-hmm. just like the average yeah. person yeah definitely i think the film does hint at that um a little bit later um so we see alexia and justine uh hooking up at a house party Mm -hmm. where um, Alexia, again, kind of becomes fixated on the metal uh, nipple ring, and she starts to get a little too bitey in the area, and Justine (laughs) tells her that (laughs) that hurts, understandably. Again, my chest, just trying to cave in back to my spine watching this scene, I just, I'm like, oh, my nipples. I thought Uh, it was definitely, like, I was like, oh, wow, Um, but... I thought that that was one of like there was this moment that's like I think one of the few really funny moments is Justine (laughs) says oh is this your first time with a girl you can move further down you know yeah you can move lower (laughs) yes yeah 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 I thought that was good yeah that was funny um yeah so Justine gets a bit freaked out tells her to stop and Alexia suddenly notices well Alexia goes to like edge of the water because they're outside and she gets sick and mm-hmm. then she notices that motor oil is secreting from her vagina so mm-hmm. she you know rushes back to Justine for comfort they go back to the house Alexia takes a pregnancy test which um has a positive result and then Alexia mm-hmm. tries to perform um, an abortion with her hair stick mm-hmm. um but doesn't work so she that goes back downstairs. That scene was also really tough. That was like a very... Yeah, that was... <sighs> yeah, that's... Yeah, a, a ballsy scene. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely definitely painful to watch. So it doesn't work. Alexia goes back downstairs. Um, Justine comforts her. And then Alexia uh, stabs her in the face with the hairpin... And a struggle mm-hmm. ensues, and Alexia kills Justine, stabbing her in the ear in the same manner as she killed mm-hmm. the stalker earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few other house guests come downstairs, and then we get kind of one of like, I don't know how to describe it, a very strangely darkly comic scene uh, or long take of Alexia kind of going throughout the house and killing mm-hmm 
the house uh, residence. Um, she brutally kills one house guest by stabbing him in the throat with the stool of a bar chair. She then goes upstairs and tries to get another guest that's locked herself in the bathroom before mm-hmm. <laughs> this poor guy, this other house yes, guest yeah. is just like, oh, is the bathroom occupied? Lexi's like, oh my God, how many there yes. are there of because you? Because people keep and he's showing like, oh, up. There's yeah. n- yeah. People keep showing up. He's like, there's me, there's this person. And she just kind of is like, oh, I'm so tired. He's like, oh, do you need to lay down? It's like this poor soul. Um, mm-hmm. So she promptly kills him. The girl who has locked herself in the bathroom runs out down the stairs. They engage in a scuffle, and the girl manages to escape. And so Alexia did not manage to kill everyone in the house. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like, what did you think of this scene? <laughs> I did think it was funny, though, because she kills Justine, and then the guy comes down the stairs and was like, What? And then she kills him and a girl comes down the stairs and is like, what? Um, But I think this scene, um, I mean, I think that this scene is interesting because, and this has come up a little bit, but her lack of emotion is very fascinating Mm -hmm. because like clearly she has like the desire to kill people. She kills, Mm -hmm. like maybe there's an argument that could be made that, you know, like she's alone in this parking lot with the first man she kills. He right. is sexually harassing her. There is an angle where you could read it as like very proactive self-defense. But this sequence mm-hmm. in this mansion um, is, it's like, she, I feel like she pretty plainly, plainly kills them because she wants to. But she doesn't really seem mm-hmm. to be enjoying it which I found really interesting. You know, like you were saying, she seems, she's like, oh, I'm so tired. I don't want to have to kill all of you. But it's like, well, you started this. Um, And I think that this is one of the moments where we first, because one of the things about this character that I find interesting is that she is deeply impulsive. All of her decisions Mm -hmm. are made in the moment with no thought whatsoever for future consequences even consequences for her so i think that Mm -hmm. this that was the big thing that i took away from the scene was that it's like oh this person has zero forethought um Mm -hmm. and i also think it's interesting how penetrative the way that she kills people is yes yeah yeah it's like stabbing them in the ear which is oh yeah. A very brutal way to get killed. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we just, uh, as an audience, we kind of see that, oh, she's, you know, uh, she's a serial killer. And um, yeah, so she just kills all of these um, house guests. And then she returns home and she burns a bloodied blanket that she brought back. Mm-hmm. Um, and it causes this big kind of fire and we um even before that when she was like coming up to the house we see the dad kind of looking down at her from the window Mm -hmm. and smoking and that was the moment for me where i was like okay he knows like yeah she's covered in blood (laughs) yeah yeah so that's um where he knows like something's uh, wrong here and so she um burns this blanket and we get our first um another recurring motif more so in the second half of the film which is a fire 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's this big fire. She locks her parents in their bedroom and leaves because, you know, she, uh, a victim escaped. And so now she's going to profile her. So she's kind of on the run now when she hitchhikes, mm-hmm. um, I believe, to an airport or a train station. I think a train station. Yeah, I think um, it was a train station i just so one question that i had for you is Mm -hmm. like what did how did you interpret when she locks the father in the room because i thought that that was just so she could escape but i talked to someone who was like oh yeah it was crazy when she burns the house down yeah okay so i thought it was so she could escape too but my notes here for that the synopsis for the film that i got said that she sets the house on fire so that that was news to me it wasn't i don't think it was necessarily clearly conveyed that the entire house was going up in flames Mm -hmm. and that she was murdering Um, both her parents (laughs) yeah she was murdering both her parents um yeah no that's I'm I'm with you. That is news to me. I thought she was just locking them away so she could escape. Um, <laughs> so she's now wanted for murder, and she comes to this train station where she sees these digital projections of um, of a police sketch of her for these mm-hmm. murders. So she realizes she needs to alter her appearance. So mm-hmm. in the news, there has been. Um, there there's been talk about this missing boy who's been gone for like 10 years adrian and so we cut to her in the bathroom and we see her altering her appearance she's cutting off her hair um you know i think she's like yeah just doing a bunch of like she's binding her Mm -hmm. her breasts and her stomach which is growing at this point yes Um, at a very interesting rate fast Yeah, 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 like the the Bella Swan rate. Um, so <laughs> Bella Swan rate. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was really good. Um, yes, uh, you are correct. And uh, <laughs> and then we get to uh, this might have been the scene that made me cringe the most when she is uh, trying to break her nose. Um, She's oh, trying man. to hit it a few times, not working. Uh, so she eventually, she lines up her nose with the edge of the counter of the sink. I was like, oh, yes. like, no, Julia, yeah. what is wrong with you? Um, it reminds, now that we're talking about it, it reminds me a lot of the climax of the movie Cam. Um, oh, which I haven't is, seen that. Yeah, which is a film about, um, which is a film about a Cam girl who kind of starts to get like haunted in this weird way. And there's a scene where she breaks her own nose in an incredibly gruesome way. Um, So yeah, something about people breaking their own noses. (laughs) This is really Mm, bad. mm -mm. It it, it was giving me a little Gone Girl too, where she hits herself in the face with a hammer. Oh, or even Laura Linney in the last season of Ozark. She smashes her face into the windshield of her car at one point oh yeah wow yeah because like the the scene's so effective because like you you know she she has a a a pretty understandable human like kind of like where you're like prepping yourself to like do it and she's like just lining up her nose taking deep breaths and it's like okay so it's like oh i think that really helped convey the the realism of the scene Uh 
So yeah. she, Alexia then goes to the police with her appearance completely altered, claiming she is Adrian, the missing boy. And so this is when we see first see um, the other main character, Vincent, um, who is Adrian's father. And he um, comes up to the window and he's like, I did, okay, I know who my son is. And um, mm-hmm. sees He turns Alexia. down a DNA test. He says he doesn't yes, even he turns, want a DNA test. He doesn't even want a DNA test. He turns it down. He sees um, Alexia, now Adrian, through the window. And um, we cut to them in his car and they're driving back to his home. And he's clearly very emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Alexia, she she briefly kind of tries to escape and gets out of the car. He chases her down and he says, mm-hmm. if anyone tries to hurt you, I will kill them, even if that means me, which I think is kind of like the audience's first clue of like, okay, maybe this guy isn't totally okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Or that these you. are two kind of possibly unstable. I mean, we know she's unstable, yes. but that he might oh, yeah. also be yeah. unstable. As well. Um, yeah, watching all uh, this occur. Were you like a little confused the first time watching this? Um I think point. that what I was confused <laughs> about is um, I think what, what I felt confused about was just that, well, one of the things is when we see this missing persons board, some mm-hmm. of them have like animations of like this person went missing when they were a child 18 years ago. This is like yeah. a sketch of what they might look like now. And she sees that and she Mm -hmm. goes into the bathroom. And like you said, she transforms herself. She goes to the police station and then he's like takes her with him as Adrian. And what I felt confused about that I remained confused about for a little while was that she looks nothing like the photos and sketches of Adrian that we see. Right. Um, She does not believably disguise herself at all, in my opinion. Yes, I that is what was confusing me as well. And I think, hey, you know, it brings up a pretty big theme of this film, which is gender and gender presentation, as mm-hmm. we're talking about. And like, I, I mean, for me personally, I was just kind of thinking like, I mean, she looks different. Yes. Would I mm-hmm. believe she was a boy? I don't know. Like, I don't know necessarily. But like, I agree with what you're saying. Like, she... She doesn't believably transform, mm-hmm. it, it, like into yeah. uh, this this uh, grown up version of his missing son, yeah. which is, is a little confusing. But as the movie goes on, you you kind of realize like, okay, he always the Vincent always sort of yeah. knew, but yeah. he was kind of operating under this delusion. Mm-hmm. And I'll clarify, I like. Think. It's not that I think that when I say she looks nothing like Adrian, um, the real Adrian, it's not that I don't, mm-hmm. it's not that I'm like, oh, she just is so obviously a woman. It's just that like the photos we see of Elliot's Adrian. Elliot's not clocking anyone. <laughs> yes, I'm not. It's like, it's really, it's like the hair and skin tone and, and stuff where like Adrian was yeah. like, had a much deeper kind of more olive complexion and like black mm-hmm. hair. And she right. is like a very, very fair and blonde. So for me, that mm-hmm. was where I was like, people don't really like get whiter. <laughs> like over, over it's time. It's the stress. The stress um, of being missing. Yeah. Turn so, hair white. 
Yes. Or, yeah, you're just in a basement for 15 years, so you're really pale. But, I mean, that was more what it was about for me because she does actually have, um, she has very striking bone structure. So, like, I didn't necessarily look at her and be like, oh, that's clearly a girl pretending to be a boy. I was more like, that's clearly someone pretending to be someone that they don't look that much like look like yeah that's a good way to put it i think um but yeah so i think uh vincent which you know we'll get into performances but oh my god this actor was so good um but yeah he really he really conveys kind of the the brokenness of this character and how much he just wants to believe he has his child back um so he takes uh uh, we'll just continue calling her Alexia, even though she's pretending to be Adrian. He takes her back to the fire station where he lives, and mm-hmm. uh, we see that he takes steroids because he's getting older and he's still in a physically intensive, very kind of traditionally masculine coded job. So uh-huh. he um, still injects these steroids, even though they're not having the best effect on him. Did you think and, that they um, were steroids like right from the start? Because I will be honest, I had a moment where I was like, is he doing hormones? Because mm, when she, when Alexia wakes up the night after having sex <clears throat> with the car, she has all these round bruises on her inner thighs That's and her right. butt. Yeah. And then he has nearly identical bruises on his butt and kind of thigh area. And so I mm-hmm. had a second where I was like, mm. oh, like, is he like, wh- like, what if he's trans and like he's doing tea oh. injections? For some reason, I thought that. Yeah. But but you're right that they are steroids because he kind of like screams and then is doing a bunch of push ups. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like the very cl- like traditional filmic way of depicting steroid use where you just like go into a roid rage. <laughs> yes, yeah, he just kind of <laughs> rages out. He's like, rah! Okay, those are steroids. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I only knew just because my my partner's very into like working out and weight weightlifting and things like that. And so like he he like under he's aware and familiar of like um, when men take you know testosterone mm-hmm. hormones or steroids to like mm-hmm. get a certain type a body type. So like he had actually come in during this scene and he's like, yeah, you can tell he has um, I guess like they call it like the steroid gut where it's like you get kind of a paunch a little bit. Oh, That's yeah, it's it's like it's very interesting from what he's told me about like how steroid use affects sort of the shape of your body. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but you, yeah, you, you can... also inject it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can kind of swing too far with testosterone. Like you can have so much testosterone in your body that you start to develop traits that people often attribute to like cis women. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, like like increased breast tissue. Yeah, yeah. Like you can start to grow breasts and stuff. And I think weird things can happen to your hair. Um, Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of. A lot of that stuff can happen. And um, so Alexia is trying to hide her very clearly pregnant body from mm-hmm. Vincent. So she's like continually, we see her, you know, binding her, her chest and her stomach and wearing loose clothes. So the next day, Vincent takes Alexia to the fire station where he introduces um, her to all of the other firefighters and uh, the firefighters are very clearly kind of 
puzzled by um, uh, Alexia's appearance and by Vincent's insistence that this is his long lost son. They're all kind of like, uh-huh. okay, whatever you say, boss. Um, so Alexia becomes an apprentice at the station under Vincent's supervision. Um, he starts to give more responsibility to her over other experienced firefighters. Um, there's one firefighter who I think is vocal about his questioning of who, um, Adrian slash Alexia really is. Um, but Vincent like immediately always shuts down any kind of, um, questioning over the validity of Adrian's identity. And Mm -hmm. so, (laughs) or anything about uh, him. And any like yeah, he's like yeah, because he says in that scene he's like if I'm God, this is my son. He's Jesus. Yeah. Um, which was interesting. Yes. Yeah. Um, and wait for Jesus to speak because she has not said anything since he picked her mm-hmm. up from the station. Right. That's yeah. He's he's Vincent's become frustrated that Alexia's not talking. Mm-hmm. Um. So Alexia is kind of becoming a little more just disturbed over Vincent's possessiveness and one night during dinner uh they get into kind of a fight um she attacks him with the hairpin we as the audience know she's going to kill him but he almost kind of treats it as like a fun kind of little father-son rough and tumble and um then he just yeah yeah like he's like I it's interesting when he says he's like why do you always want to leave um Mm -hmm. so he gives her the key because he had been locking her in. And so she escapes and goes to the bus stop to get on a bus. And that's when we have a really interesting scene where uh, a group of guys get on the bus and start uh, sexually harassing one of the female passengers. And we Mm -hmm. see kind of her looking over at Alexia's character, who's sort of just like hiding in the corner. And uh, then we just cut back to Alexia off the bus and going back mm-hmm. to Vincent's mm-hmm. which and I think that the way they shoot that is really interesting because the way that I interpreted that scene was that the woman and it's completely empty it's these rowdy mm-hmm. kind of aggressive group of guys saying really really mm-hmm. misogynist things I think at one point one of them says just give me a hole a hole is a yeah. hole and that was like wow yeah. um and there's like some mm-hmm. some kind of racist things that he's saying as well. And so yeah. I interpreted it that this woman is looking at um, at her because she's like, you're the only guy, you're the only other man right. on this bus. Like, aren't you going to do something? Um, yeah, that's and, how I took it as well. Yeah, and she's also black, the passenger. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I think that there's like that was also an element to it as well of that she's kind of like, for multiple reasons, you're the only person in this situation who has any chance of like meaningfully protecting me from these people. Mm-hmm. And then we cut back to the wide of the bus and it's driving mm-hmm. away. And you're like, oh God, like they're all just alone on that bus. And then as it pulls away, you see that she's gotten off the bus. Yeah. And it's sort of like you think that something bad is going to happen on this bus. And then the fact that she's not on it is somehow even more terrible. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I felt. uh, Yeah, I just felt so bad for that 
female passenger and then seeing mm-hmm. Alexia get off yeah. the bus. And yeah, I don't know. It's just like Alexia's like, you know, she's still, you know, most likely a, a sociopath. So yeah. maybe she she really just doesn't care or she's like, if I do try to intervene and they find mm-hmm. out I'm not a man, like mm-hmm. I've I've been sexually assaulted before. Yeah. Like, doesn't want to go back to that kind of necessarily. Yeah. Or, or at think, that point, it's... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I think ahead. she's also someone who clearly, like, doesn't have empathy. You know, I think mm-hmm. from that moment where she yanks her hair out of... um From Justine's nipple piercing, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, this person doesn't care when she hurts other people. Um and then obviously mm-hmm. she kills yeah, a she guy like right after that. Yeah. 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 It's like not only does she not yeah. care about other people and the pain that they're <clears throat> in or whether or not she causes them pain, she also is obviously like, and I'm gonna be a serial killer. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. that's another moment where you are reminded of her pretty extensive lack of empathy for others. Right. Yeah, so she she goes back to Vincent, who has experienced an arrhythmia after injecting a large dose of steroids. And mm-hmm. we kind of see the first moment of her uh, expressing concern or care for another person. And she, like, tries to revive him. And she's, like, going, Dad, wake up. So she's, mm-hmm. you see her expressing that care. And also, like, she's kind of starting to go along with the okay i'm adrian i'm your son um so uh we we see them get closer with each other he kind of comes with him um on his job as a firefighter slash emt and um we get this really beautiful scene that i loved where there's a party at the fire station it's like has this beautiful kind of like purple Mm -hmm. deep purple imbued like with the I think the term's by lighting it's like blue and purple and yes yeah it, it's, yeah it's, it feels <laughs> at first you think that they might be in some sort of nightclub um, yeah yeah um but there's yeah this beautiful lighting and everyone's dancing and there's this great song and then Vincent and Alexia kind of start to dance together and mm-hmm. which I thought was really sweet and um but I also was like worried when they were like dancing more extensively. I'm like, oh no, is she gonna go into labor? Um, like, is this her... the scene where he picks her up on his shoulders yes. and is like put yes. all of her weight is on her stomach against him? Yes, yeah, that's where I was like, oh no, car yeah. baby. Um, but <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> doesn't happen. But yeah, we start to see this um, this growing connection between these two characters and. Vincent's uh, ex-wife comes to see her son, and uh, I think she knows pretty, pretty much instantly that's like, okay, mm-hmm. this is not Adrian. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Vincent is like kind of in full denial at this point, and Alexia goes into the bedroom where we get um, like this really long, kind of lingering shot of her body. And we see how extensively it has become affected by the car pregnancy she 
Um, she has like extensive cuts all over herself. Like her skin yeah. on her stomach is ripping. There's motor oil coming out. She clear, like she's lactating mm. oil. Yeah, she's but clearly some of in. the injuries are also clearly mm. from the bandages because she's yes. really like she's wrapping herself really, really tightly in these like sport wraps and like compressing her stomach and her breasts. And so she has, I thought that the cuts were like where the bandages were cutting in. Oh, okay. Um, but you're yeah, right that, makes that sense. she, yeah, you're right that she is also developing just like a hole in her body from, you, yeah. you know, she has this wound that she accidentally sticks her fingers in. Oh. And just Oh my God, the sound note, design. Yeah. Yeah. Just a side note for anyone it is not safe to bind your chest with ace bandages or sport wraps of any kind oh Um, yeah it's it's really bad for you um it's bad for your ribs and it um it can actually restrict your breathing in a way that binders made specifically for the purpose of compression Mm. don't so if anyone like watched that film or like is listening to this and like oh maybe i can compress my chest with bandages Please don't do that. You could you could harm yourself and it can have like long-term oh negative effects on your body. Thank you for saying that because it seems like in most media I've seen whenever someone binds their chest, they're using like ace bandages. It's really frustrating and it's definitely mm-hmm. like, a, because it puts trans youth at risk because if the mm-hmm. only images they've seen of someone hiding their breasts is someone wrapping themselves really tightly with an ace yeah. bandage, obviously they're gonna think that they can try that um but it's it's not safe to do so i wish that movies would stop showing that yes don't do it guys yes don't use ace bandages so vincent's ex-wife comes in and she sees alexia um naked and she pretty much is like okay i'm not gonna tell him Mm -hmm. anything here but she's like you gotta take care of him like mm-hmm. after what this guy has been through okay and so um yeah again we're kind of seeing this uh i i i don't know if i would call it awakening but like the first time alexia has to become aware or like considerate of another mm-hmm. person and mm-hmm. their needs sort of and so vincent kind of eventually acknowledges that he, he knows Alexia isn't really Adrian, but it doesn't matter to him. He's like, you know, whoever you are, you're my son. Like mm-hmm. he, he has seen her naked at this point when her towel falls mm-hmm. down and they're in the bathroom. I think that um, there's one moment before that though. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that I wrote mm-hmm. down was that you're like the, as you are saying, like the mom is like, I don't care who you are like it doesn't matter to me who you are you have to take care of him he needs someone to take care of him yeah you if not you or you or another and then the scene immediately after that she goes into the bathroom and she tries to like help him and he says i help you you don't help me like that's not the way this works um, and so I think yeah. that there's um, the way that that is like so immediately followed up with, with where we see this woman being like, he needs someone to take care of him. And then the next scene, he's saying, mm, no right. one takes care of me. I take care of you. I thought it was a really interesting mm-hmm. kind of reversal. 
Yeah, and I believe that's the first time she speaks, too, because he needs help with his steroid injection. She says, are you sick? Mm-hmm. And he just says, no, I'm old. Yes, yeah. Um, I think you're right that that and, is the first time that, that she talks in a long time in the film. Yeah, I'll, and just, again, Vincent... I forget his last name, but that, like, the, just the subtle facial expressions when she talks, mm-hmm. and he just seems so clearly happy, and it's just like, oh, mm-hmm. this guy is so good, and he needs yeah. some other stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, that is an interesting juxtaposition, as you pointed out, and I think that's also the scene where he's like, we'll get some hair grown on your face, and starts um, shaving her, like, I don't... <laughs> yes, that was <laughs> interesting as well, yeah. Totally not not being re- reverent at all here, but through a lot of this stuff with Vincent and Alexia, I just kept thinking of the South Park episode where Paris Hilton thinks Butters is her dog. I don't. I have not seen that. <laughs> okay, um, she's there's literally an episode where he like has some hair like stuck on him or something. He's been playing ninja uh-huh. with his friends, and he's uh-huh. like like the premise here of like Butters's character is that he is always screwed over by everyone but he's just so mm-hmm. innocent interesting like he never learns anything so mm-hmm. is he the Paris one who doesn't Hilton talk uh no that's kenny butters is the okay. one who's like oh gee fellas come on and okay. it's just like he's he's very innocent and <laughs> yeah so paris hilton in subset finds and and she's like oh my god mumsy my missing dog and she's like <laughs> carrying her <laughs> <laughs> She cares for him like she, he's her dog the whole episode. And I just kept thinking, I'm like, this movie is that South Park episode. That's funny. <laughs> yes, dealing with some deeper themes though. Um, <laughs> so we'll come back uh, to dogs later. Yeah, um, yeah, actually, it's true. So Vincent has acknowledged that whatever's going on here is fine. He just he he needs a a, a, a Adrian surrogate of some kind basically mm-hmm. um <laughs> so uh, i believe this afterwards is this where we have the scene in the forest where they're trying to put out the forest fire i can't remember where does the where is the scene where they go on the house call for a man who has overdosed and the that man's was a mother... few scenes earlier okay okay so yeah. then i think we do that was after the forest yeah that was after Alexia had decided to come back. Um, that's when they did the house call. And then I think, yeah, pretty pretty much later on in the movie, we get the forest fire scene where one of the firefighters who has been, I think, consistently kind of questioning this whole mm-hmm. situation, Vincent, uh, um, he's holding a, a tank of gas or propane that they had taken mm-hmm. out of a, a, a motorhome, I believe. Mm-hmm. And... Vincent, I mean, I think he's kind of out of it or he's a little negligent at this point. Mm-hmm. And the firefighter's like, what do I do with it? And Vincent, like, is like, hold on to it or something. He goes off to do something. You hear this huge explosion. Yeah. And this firefighter had been killed. Yeah. Oh, um, and just moments before that, because I think that this conversation really changes the way you interpret what happened with that explosion because he mm-hmm. collapses on their way to the motor home and the guy does this test on him where he's like, you know, I think he, where he's like, are you out of breath? Are you dizzy? Like how many fingers yeah. am I holding up? What's my name? 
And he tries mm-hmm. to dismiss him and he's like, no, what's my name? And Vincent can't answer. And then he says, do you know her name? Like, what about mm, her yeah. name? Um, and right. then, as you're saying, we have the moment in the motorhome with the canister and the explosion. And we see his body and that Vincent is just staring at this. Yeah. And isn't the character's name Conscience? Conscience. Like, his name is literally Conscience. <laughs> It's not the most subtle aspect of the film, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he introduced himself. Yeah. He's like, everyone calls me conscience. And I, I have in my when notes... When he said was that, like, I was like... Yeah. I was like, I can't believe it, but there is a guy named Conscious in this film. Conscience. <laughs> yeah, not, not the subtlest of films, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yes, that happens. And uh, I think... A, shortly afterwards there's a party at the fire station um Mm -hmm. and the firefighters are kind of like they put adrian up on one of the fire trucks and they're Mm -hmm. like yeah adrian like it's clear i think Uh he's become kind of more accepted into the Uh the these this group of men and it i think like when that happens they're thinking he's like gonna i don't know crowd surf or jump off or yeah, something but i wasn't really sure what because this party is much more physically aggressive than the first party yes i almost thought exact, there was a yeah. brawl happening at first yeah no they're just like mosh pitting uh-huh is that a is that a verb mosh pitting, mosh pitting. they're moshing <laughs> they're mashing they're mo- yeah they're moshing they're mashing <laughs> um so <laughs> Yeah, so you're right, it is a lot more aggressive, and they're like, yeah, Adrian, and then Alexia starts to go into kind of a seductive dance that she, like, is reminiscent of when she was a showgirl for Uh the car show, and Uh everyone's kind of just watching confusedly. Vincent comes in, and Alexia doesn't stop, she continues to dance this way, and Vincent seems, like, disappointed, and he Mm -hmm. leaves, Mm -hmm. and then Alexia comes down and we cut to her having sex with a fire truck yeah it's um this it's not well (laughs) yeah well this was one of the most uncomfortable sequences in the film for me i really struggle with secondhand Mm -hmm. embarrassment anytime that a character is doing something that so i had a hard time watching it but I think that another, this is another scene where gender is like so clearly at issue where these guys mm-hmm. are dancing, but they're really shoving each other and it's super aggressive. And then she gets mm-hmm. up on top of the fire truck. And like you're saying, they're watching her expecting something. And then what she does is like a very, very gendered dance, you know, where like men can yeah. also dance in a way that's sexy, but like this is clearly reminiscent of like something that you would see in a strip club. There's even a pole in the background of the shot. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of next to her. And so the way that they believe that they're, susp- I think they think that she's really, I think they think that he's really weird. I don't think that they think that they suspect that she's actually a woman um Mm. so i think that what they are uncomfortable with is the way that she is transgressing against masculinity um Mm -hmm. when i think that other parts of the films like the when she binds her chest and her stomach she's very clearly transgressing against femininity 
So like mm-hmm. this scene where she's doing this sexy striptease thing, she doesn't take her clothes off, but where she's doing the sexy dance is I think that the fact that the men are watching it makes it into a scene where she's transgressing against masculinity as well as femininity. And I think that that is a really, really like, I think that that's pretty skillfully done. Um, And it's cool that she is kind of, um, she's kind of like fucking with gender no matter which direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so true. And yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out how she, yeah, she is fucking with gender. Um, and um yeah we it's interesting i think that during like her most emotional states is when she has sex with like the car or the fire truck because mm-hmm. i think like vincent's rejection there affected her mm-hmm. and you you see her it's not dwelled on as much this time as the first sex scene with the car but you see her once again having sex with the fire truck um and we see at this point her body is really breaking down. Um, mm-hmm. Her stomach is tearing and she's like, again, yeah, leaking oil. There's metal plates in her body now. It's like the, the body horror element of the film is really coming yeah. in. So, And what did you think of coming... the sex mm-hmm. with the... Because you're right that we focus on it a lot less, but what did you think like of how, um, like the framing and stuff with that? I think... I think in this instance, it it seemed more like it was a coping mm-hmm. thing that she was doing. It wasn't as, I don't know, um, uh, I, I guess maybe she got more pleasure out of having sex with the car the first time. Yeah. Or there was more sense of discovery there for her. Uh-huh. And in this yeah. situation, I think it was more of a coping strategy. I agree that she, sure. like, I don't think that there's an orgasm implied. Um, mm-hmm. Or if there is one, I think you're right that it's like, it's sadder. Like, it feels more tortured almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, this is the only way she can kind of express emotion or emotional intimacy of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she. Vincent like I think this is like where he tries to light himself on fire briefly um he does light himself on fire yes he does he does he does (laughs) oh my god (laughs) you're right he does light himself on fire I was real scared there I'm like no this can't be how Vincent goes um but he (laughs) he he puts it out in time Uh, he Alexia comes in and she says I love you he says I love you too and then she kisses him and it's like it becomes physical for like a few moments before he like immediately like you know pushes back goes no not and he is about to leave and she's like please don't leave me i'm scared and she starts to go into labor and vincent begins to help her you know that emt training kicks in i think Mm -hmm. um and that's when she tells him her real name is Alexia. Yes, and yeah. she gives birth. It's very painful. Um, you see, like, the titanium in her skull is splitting out of her head. 
Um, yes, that her, was her stomach is ripping. Oh, gruesome. Yeah, it was. It's very <laughs> gruesome. Her stomach. But I just, I'm sorry. I just remembered. It's the full Renesme. It is the full Renesme. Yes, <laughs> except. All we needed was Vincent, like, literally biting open her stomach like Edward. Yeah. And, but yes, it's the full Renesme. <laughs> the baby ripping yeah. its way out from the inside. I, I yeah. honestly don't, I, I don't know which I'd pick, this or the Bella Labor. I'm like, both seem god-awful and miserable. And, um, The Bella yeah, one so... is more Mormon, you know? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> It's just like oh my god there's just like a my girlfriend says this uses this phrase all the time but there's like a terminal heterosexuality to yeah <laughs> to everything that happens in twilight and that's this, so true if this film does not suffer from ter- from terminal heterosexuality no it does not not at all not at all yeah no, we, you know, we like our our demon monster birth scenes to be progressive and equitable. Yes. And I think this movie did the job. <laughs> um, it did something. It did something, that's for sure. And, and honestly, as gruesome as the scene is, you know, we're all thinking it. We're like, is the car going to come out of her stomach? Are we going to get like a baby car? Um, so the baby is born... <sighs> disappointingly it's a little it's a little too human looking for my taste I it was, has like titan yeah it I was has like titan time for Me sorry you go <laughs> fine like i wanted i want like steampunk like metal gears in the head like maybe mm-hmm. some wheels like for <laughs> limbs i don't know I, I i wish for as out there as the movie was the movie could have I, I wish i had gone more out there with the baby's design um, but I agree. Yeah. So Alexia, yeah, Alexia gives birth and dies and Vincent is holding this newborn body and oh, sorry, um, Vincent is holding the newborn baby and he keeps saying, I'm here, I'm here, fade to white and film. Yes. Yeah. It's, it is a very, it's an interesting final few moments. And what I was just going to say before is like, I was anxiously awaiting the car baby. Same as you. I was like, she better give birth to this car baby. Um, (laughs) And then he has it really bundled up. I so know, even I was like, once it's been born, yeah, it? I was like, if you was like, don't no. show me, <laughs> and, the then baby, and then they did, and it's like, oh, it's just a baby, okay, yeah, <laughs> it's a baby with a metal spine, and it's like, that's yeah, cool, it's like, but yeah, you're right, that like it would have been nice if it was a bit more car like, yeah, I, I, I would have liked some more car like that, could have just been for practical reasons. Um, yeah, I was just saying for logistic reasons, you know, there's only so much you can do if you want to use a real baby in terms of design. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure the, the spine was digitally added. But uh, props for the movie for having the baby look like a newborn baby because every time a baby is born in a movie, it's like a six to eighth month old baby. It's so funny. <laughs> it's like, because... it's a, it's, they're big. They're so big. Like, <laughs> My mom no, they need to be squishy. about the same thing every time we watch a movie with a baby so it's funny that you're also pointing this out um did you say it's supposed (laughs) to be squishy (laughs) that they're not squishy enough like 
like especially in terms of the face because they've been like compact in a very mm -hmm. tiny area for like nine months so yeah when they come out they're like they're not compact anymore but their faces are still very red oh. and squishy and they're yeah i know so yeah but again logistic wise there you can't really have a newborn baby for a movie scene so yeah or um, have a baby covered case... in prosthetics and makeup <laughs> yeah i mean yeah so worst worst baby case scenario i think we can all agree on is american sniper where they didn't even oh god have a real baby and Bradley Cooper's just moving the little plastic hand with his thumb. Yeah. Trying to give this fake baby worst. some life. Yeah. But the animatronic oh, doll that they were going to use for Renesmee in Twilight. <gasps> this is the third oh, Twilight reference. My um, God. Yeah. No, that was no. haunting. I'm here for it. Chilling. Blood curdling. I, when I found out um, that Robert Pattinson and, um, what, what is her name? Suki Waterhouse, I believe, that they're having their baby. I sent I sent that message to my partner, and then I sent a picture of the Chuck Esme, the, the puppet doll. Yes, yes. <laughs> it, it is so cursed. And I'm so, like, it's just so funny how they, like, tried one day to shoot with it, and everyone uh -huh. was like, no. We yeah, can't. we can't act with this monstrosity in the room. <laughs> <laughs> like, everyone gives the CGI baby shit, but I'm like, it could have been so much worse, yeah. y'all. You don't know. Yeah, be grateful. Um, be grateful we have CGI baby. Um, oh, gosh. So, so yeah, that was T-Tan. Elliot, what did you think? <laughs> well, I kind of wanted to return to what you said about um, just before we get to general thoughts, you said that, you know, the final moment was interesting and that he keeps saying, I'm here. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought that that was interesting because in a, in a way, because like we have this father saying, I'm here as the final shot mm -hmm. of the film. And the first line of the film is Alexia's dad saying, stop it um mm. and being annoyed oh, with I her love that. i didn't even pick up on that and i love that yeah, yeah. so i thought that that was there the, like it's interesting to me that one of the reviews you quoted said that it was so poorly directed when i feel like there are so many moments that depth is added to them because of things that happen earlier in the film and like that to me is good directing yeah. that's good filmmaking is that there are oh, moments yeah. I... that stand alone well and then that they are made even stronger by how they connect to other aspects of the film yeah yeah i agree i don't think that's that can be contested is that julia de is a very talented director um and yeah, I love that you pointed that out because I, I did, that was kind of one of the, the main themes after watching the movie was this idea of like, of Alexia finding this kind of father figure or building this father-child relationship that mm -hmm. she did not have with her father, which I think mm -hmm. is pretty clearly visually mm -hmm. uh, conveyed early on in the film. Her father from the very first scene doesn't seem to want to have anything to do with her yeah like even before the accident which i i mean i don't know if you took this from the movie but i think it was implied that the accident is what like caused maybe some kind of brain damage that makes her want to yeah commit murder i mean but, i think that it's um, definitely true that there's a lot of science that shows that traumatic brain injuries especially during youth do affect empathy 
planning, Mm -hmm. social skills and forethought things like, so her impulsivity, her lack of empathy, her, Mm -hmm. her difficulty Mm -hmm. connecting to people around her. I agree that those all feel like things that we know can and often do actually happen as a result of really serious traumatic brain injuries in childhood. And there are a lot of serial killers who sustained traumatic brain injuries in their youth. Um, It's actually kind of, um, it's kind of sad how many serial killers have had traumatic Mm. brain injuries because uh, I am Mm. not excusing anyone who kills, um, especially if they're just doing it for fun. But I think that when you actually like look into like the backgrounds of many of the most famous serial killers, a lot of them had really physically abusive childhoods where they sustained mm-hmm. a brain injury through like a neg- kind of a negligence situation or even through an assault from their own parent, like a phys- an instance yeah. of physical violence. Um, mm-hmm. So I agree that I felt like there were parts of this that were very much about like, and this is what happens when someone has a brain injury. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was conveyed well. And um, yeah, I liked the the parallelism of um, this uh, father-child bond being formed Mm -hmm. as opposed to the one that she never had with her own dad. Um, But yeah, I'm curious if like you want to talk maybe a bit more about what you think the film has to say regarding gender and sexuality, because I think that's a pretty big theme from this film. Yeah. Well, I think, um, well, I said this before, but I think this was a great choice of film um, for our, just in general. But I also think it's a really interesting one for our first, like, special episode because this film is, like, obviously not a vampire film and is very, very different than the films we've covered up to this point. But I think that the way that this film engages with themes like gender, sexuality, desire, violence, mm-hmm. um, all of those things are are very easily found in the vampire genre and are themes that the vampire genre overall is like very invested in and kind of go hand in hand. Um, but in terms of my like overall thoughts and like those themes I think that one of the things that stuck out to me about this film and we talked about this a bit in terms of like this film isn't really telling you how to feel um I think Julia de Cornell like she likes to make movies that are uncomfortable to watch um that Mm -hmm. and that are like upsetting or disturbing um I think that she likes to create like a very difficult viewing experience um she like in, she yeah. very much kind of falls into the the, the french extremity tradition of filmmaking mm-hmm. i mean whether that's something she's conscious of or not i mean for our listeners who don't know the french extremity film movement um occurred between the 90s and 2000s where mm-hmm. it's a subgenre of uh french horror films that deal with uh controversial or taboo subjects and they're very much focused on like kind of just very graphic explicit depictions of violence sex yeah. things like pretty that. intense bursts of like 
really, really like gruesome stuff. So I yeah. think like high tension yeah. and um, high tension martyrs, martyrs, um, irreversible. <laughs> yeah, like it, it doesn't even necessarily have to have like a supernatural or mm-hmm. like element like it, it could be a yeah. straightforward technically a straightforward drama or thriller but it, it has uh-huh. that kind of like an uncomfortable level of explicitness i would mm-hmm. say in graphicness yeah i think that th- i think that that's a great connection to film history and the larger context of this film um i also think that you're right to bring up taboo because sort of under the umbrella of like gender and transgressing against gender and familial relationships and kind of like broken mother uh broken father child connections um well one thing that i noticed was the absence of mothers um Mm. you know like adrian's mother briefly shows up and is like i don't want him i don't want to be involved she kind of walks away and we never see alexia's mother or do we I thought that was her sister at the um, beginning. I guess that was her mother. No, that that is her mom, but her mom's okay. like in two scenes and pretty uh-huh. absent. Like she she yeah. has no importance to the plot. Yeah, it's interesting um, which that is... we have this person who's pregnant, it, kind of at the cusp of becoming a mother, and so much of the film is more father relationship focused. But one yeah, thing, which... mm-hmm. well, I was just gonna and. I don't, well, why don't you go first? Because my thing is um, pretty intense and kind of, oh, I think, okay. will trigger no, yeah, other no. discussion points. It, no, it's okay. Yeah, please hold on to that. No, I was just going to say, I think that is a recurring theme in Julia Ducournau's work, um, which um, in Raw, the, the mom is pretty distant, and uh, this is going to have spoilers for Raw. So if you haven't seen Raw, go see it. Um, but yes. the the mother figure is pretty distant from Justine and her sister um, Alexia, and at the end it's revealed that uh, Justine's cannibalism is an inherited um, kind of genetic mm-hmm. thing that she got from her mom. Yes, and um, it the father has this really great final scene with her where he reveals that he throughout the years has been letting <laughs> their mom pretty much eat a little bit of him whenever she yeah. wanted and he's nibble a like, chunk off yeah, nibble a chunk off he'd been very buttoned up in terms like long sleeves uh-huh. and collars yeah. and everything and so you just she takes off his shirt and you just see these extensive like pits and scars and yeah. it, it's so gruesome and mm-hmm. he just says don't worry i'm sure he'll find a solution and that's how the film ends and yeah. um th- but there is already kind of this um th- th- there's like there's dialogue with the dad, not with the mom. Like there's this yeah. more, if there's a parental figure I'm getting from the two films I've seen by Julia, it is going to be a father with a daughter character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, and character. I think that kind of dovetails <laughs> into what I wanted to bring up and was one of the things, a lot of things struck me about this film, but this was one thing that kind of stuck out to me in terms of just like, consumption and stuff um Mm. is that i felt like there were a lot of that like incest was kind of a theme here like there were moments Mm. that felt 
like they would were about to tip over into incest because there are several times throughout the film where and maybe this is maybe some of that is because I'm an American and physical affection can be very, very different in other countries, especially Mm -hmm. Europe. But there are several Mm -hmm. times where Vincent kisses Alexia slash Adrian in a way that feels like. You know, where they never kiss each other on the mouth, really. But, you know, Mm -hmm. he'll kiss, like, her face and her head. And there's even some moments where she kisses him. And, you know, he kind of just watches her do that sexy dance on the fire truck for a little Mm -hmm. longer than I would have guessed that he would. And then, you know, he sees her... This was actually kind of tender moment, but he sees her in a towel and the towel falls. And so he sees that she has breasts and then he rewraps her Mm -hmm. in the towel. But those final moments before she gives birth, she goes and lies down in bed with him and kind of Mm -hmm. like kisses his stomach and then kind of moves up his body. And to me, it felt very plainly like it was about to get sexual because he even reacts and kind of pushes her away and jumps out of bed mm-hmm. and is like, stop it, what are you doing? Um, yeah, yeah. So they I... do kiss in that scene. Yeah, yeah, you're, okay, you're right. There is one time where they kiss on the on the mouth. So I felt like incest was something. And like, yes, it's not literal incest, but um, because mm-hmm. she's not actually his son, but we have the scene where he says, I don't care who you are. You are my son. You will always be my son. Um, yeah. So I feel like incest is definitely being evoked multiple times throughout the film. Yeah, I I would agree that that kind of undercurrent is definitely there. And yeah, part of me just wonders is um, like kind of because we were talking earlier but earlier about how like like the binary of gender is is like kind of being fucked with by Alexia mm-hmm. and she's not really occupying any specific gender identity here or she's like mm-hmm. um she's like I guess kind of transgressing like those traditional binaries or boundaries and here it's almost like when you bring up incest it's not like no I don't believe like Vincent had like an incestuous attraction to his son but I think it's almost like a you know you're my child but also you're kind of not my child so Uh the traditional boundaries of intimacy and what's appropriate maybe is kind of going out the window here yeah and because she clearly doesn't understand how to connect to people as well right yeah and I think this the Vincent character's just been like so broken by losing his child. Mm-hmm. He needs like essentially to get Freud and he needs like an object to occupy that lack, sort yeah. of. Which she she fulfills, but also because it's not the traditional you are my actual son mm-hmm. and we have a fa- traditional father son relationship, those um kind of boundaries are blurred, I think, a little uh-huh. bit. I think this might be an interesting moment to bring up because I said dogs will come up again later. And the Mm. reason I said that is because um, Alexia has a tattoo on her sternum that we see several times that says love is a dog from hell. 
Um, mm. And I thought that that was very, very interesting. Yeah. Huh. I didn't notice that. Interesting. Yeah, because I was like, Love. oh, she has a tattoo, like, right in the middle of the chest, <clears throat> her chest and its words. And then at one point I was like, oh, I think it says mm. hell. And then I managed to, like, catch a better glimpse of it. And I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, that is such a wild, especially for this serial killer who seems to have no empathy. It kind of it's mm-hmm. very interesting that she has this tattoo that says love is a dog from hell. Um, I mm. think that that's like a really interesting phrase to, like, inject into all of the other things that are happening in this movie yeah yeah it's it's an interesting indicator of how this character would view something like love and Mm -hmm. it's kind of part of their arc or her arc in this uh movie i think is Mm -hmm. like forming a genuine emotional connection to someone else i think yeah before she dies so what do we think the car means what do we think yeah. fucking the car means? <laughs> yes, what does fucking the car Fuck. mean? Um, yes, listeners, have you ever fucked a car? If you did, <laughs> why did you do it? <laughs> that seems uh, like, oh, there, you don't there have could to be some room us. for Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just be safe. Yes, be safe out there. Um, because, yeah, I mean, it is interesting because one thing is that we never really like, get a sense of how she's having sex with the car like what the intercourse is i've got i kind of assumed that she was maybe like riding the gear shift in some way that's yeah if we're going off of like traditional hetero conceptions of sex Uh then yeah that's what i thought as well but Uh it's not made clear yeah but in terms of the i think I mean, I think we've talked a lot about how this character can't connect to other people. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think there's first she's able to feel a connection to cars. And I would also say to metal in general, because she gets fascinated by Justine's nipple piercings. Her hairpin is also a metal spike. She kills the people in the house in part with a metal mm-hmm. poker. Um, so I think that she clearly is a character who is like, I think that she has a special relationship to cars and vehicles, but I think that there is mm-hmm. also a larger implication that she's attracted to metal. Yes, I agree with that. And I just thought of this, but going back to the end of the first uh, sequence where she embraces the car and kisses Mm -hmm. it i just realized like i think she's trauma bonded to cars oh that's a great point yeah um yeah she almost died (laughs) yeah she did almost die and i think that the way we didn't talk about this at the time but i feel like the way they shot that car crash was great because yeah that was what felt very realistic Yeah, we start inside the car and then we hear the sound of him losing control of the car and then we cut out to a wide and we see the car kind of hit the the side of the highway. Like it's a highway with a cement barrier. But what I really like about it is that everything is kind of through implication because we don't see the result of the crash other than the blood splatter on the inside of the window Mm. that she smashed her head in. 
And so it takes a moment mm-hmm. where you're like, oh my God, what happened? And then you realize that like, oh, she must have hit her head. Um, because you see this blood splatter and this kind of like some fractures in the window. Um, and then we get a much more intimate and up close view of the surgery where the metal plate is being mm-hmm. put in. So, yeah, but mm-hmm. your idea that there's like a trauma bond, I think, I think that that's a very reasonable reading of mm-hmm. this character's decision to like have sex with cars. Yeah. Or work with cars, essentially. Yes. She's, yeah. You know, um, showcasing them. And, um, but yeah, in terms of what it means to have sex with the car, I, I don't know, like, it's, yeah, I think it is kind of what we talked about, where she has trouble connecting with people, but she has this Mm -hmm. fascination with, like, cars and to a wider extent, like, metal. Um, Yeah. So maybe that's, um, I don't know, maybe Julia's kind of commenting on uh, the the human evolution. Are we losing our connection with people and we're becoming more machine-like? Or maybe uh, I don't that know. it's like, maybe that it's, be, now I'm thinking about it and it's like maybe another reading of it could be that like, there are a lot of instances in this film where sexual violence, harassment, or exploitation is evoked. And so maybe for this woman, if she wants to have sex, if she wants to feel a romantic or like intimate interaction men are not safe um like we see a lot of instances in which men are not safe um Mm -hmm. and that's not that's not like me saying i don't think men are safe in general but like the film one of the earliest scenes like with like the first scene with a man is a guy who accidentally and it is an accident um but accidentally gets his daughter into a car crash that almost kills her And then the next scene Mm -hmm. with men is these crowds of men ogling and sexually harassing the showgirls at the car show. Mm -hmm. And then we see a much more specific example of the guy kind of sexually harassing and insulting her, assaulting her through the car window. And so like, and then there's like the aggressiveness of the dancing. There's just so many moments where, um, and the men on the bus. There's a lot of moments where men are not safe sexual subjects. Um, or mm-hmm. where, like... Yeah, even... Yeah. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, even Vincent, who is the main male character, and we as the audience grow to like him, mm-hmm. like, he's still, like, possessive and controlling, at least yeah, initially. He like, her. when he tries to escape, yeah. he's like, I'll kill anyone, even myself. And it's like, yeah. oh, okay. So it's yeah. like, it's still, even though he becomes a safe uh-huh. kind of emotional anger, he's still introduced as, like, even when she's trying to use him as a method of escape, he's still mm-hmm. not safe. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, like, he locks her in the car. He's kind of mm-hmm. locked in the house, in her own bedroom. So I think maybe there's this implication of, like, um, like what's a woman gotta do <laughs> to get yeah to, to, um, movie in a nutshell what's can a woman have a hobby can she not yeah. serial kill and... <laughs> yeah um, where, where's a woman Without to find men. a good lay um, <laughs> but I think um, I think that you know yeah I think that there's a lot of ways to interpret it and then you know I and then even because 
with you know incest i think there i think it would be difficult to argue that incest is never at issue in the film um like i think that it yeah. i would if someone was like incest isn't a theme i would be like okay well like were you, did you just close your eyes through several scenes um but i think that paraphilia is part of that you know where like fetish is kind of evoked and that can mm-hmm. i can see how that could be pretty problematic because there's a difference between having a fetish for piercings like being mm-hmm. there's a difference between being really into someone's nipple piercings and like incest um, but <laughs> i think big jumps <laughs> yeah exactly but i do think that sexual like deviant or alternative sexual desire and activity is pretty plainly a theme in this film it's it's mm-hmm. text you know it is the text of the film yeah um mm-hmm. so I, and i think that that also follows under this umbrella of you know we have a an artist who is really interested in taboo really interested mm-hmm. in yeah. transgressing some of the most foundational aspects of you know what it means to be a person in a society we live in a society <laughs> uh, julia de Curnow coming out saying we live in a society um yeah yeah <laughs> what do you think of um the ending with the baby um do you think the baby will become the the, the son or child that vincent uh-huh. needs or lost i mean i think there i think that we are it is very plain that like he is gonna adopt this car baby yeah oh yeah um but i think whether or not we view that positively is Mm -hmm. um because like i don't know that because i think their relationship has an overall positive effect on alexia but I don't know I that Vincent gives, like, great father material. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we, well, based on what we saw, it's a uh-huh. little, little hit and miss. Yeah. Um, and she was a yeah. very dangerous person. So there's also this question of, like, yes, the baby is just a vulnerable baby infant right now, but could this baby grow up to be someone equally as dangerous as Alexia? I mean, is the car going to show up wanting custody? Like, that's like the real question. (laughs) The muscle car. Like, we don't know. By the way, it is a beautiful car that she has sex with. Oh, yeah. I don't know anything about cars, but I'm still like, that. I I, I would fuck the car. I don't know. Yes, (laughs) yeah. It's got this, it's got this like custom flame print all over it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, but that is, that is hilarious um, that the car might show up and be like, that is my child. My Um, child. Yeah. Yeah. Wants custody. Uh, Like, uh, we we got a Kramer versus Kramer, like court drama in the works. Like, (laughs) Yes. Lightning McQueen <laughs> just shows up. Um, wow. Um, you um, are the father. Um, but uh... yeah, I think I think another thing that with with like this with child that this child, father, child, pregnancy, you know, and in terms of we talked a little bit about the relationship between this film and Tukunau's first film, Raw. I think Raw um 
like you bring up that you brought up the French extremity subgenre. I think Ra mm-hmm. also very much fits into the subgenre of oh, like yeah. the monstrous feminine and yes. the idea of like women's uh, like a girl's or like woman's puberty as mm-hmm. horrific. And that, you know, we get yeah. into films like Teeth, Ginger Snaps, um um, other Jennifer's films like body, that yeah. yeah Jennifer's body where um where like a, a young girl entering womanhood is horrific and monstrous in some way and so and this mm-hmm. explores that move from like womanhood to like pregnancy into motherhood and so and yeah. just I think it is I think that it is valid to read this character as trans I don't think you have to read it that way, Mm -hmm. but I think that it would not be completely unreasonable to argue that Alexia can be read as a transmasculine person. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing that, you know, I think it's really interesting that this woman, her two films have really heavily engaged with the idea of like rebelling against femininity or femininity as this like Mm. destroying Mm -hmm. or monstrous consumptive force um and so Mm -hmm. you know i i kind of you know let's let's see where she goes in her life (laughs) you know like um, that's what i'm saying i'm excited yeah because have have you seen the documentary disclosure um Well, it's about the history of um, trans women and trans femininity in cinema. Mm -hmm. And they Mm -hmm. talk a lot about Psycho and Alfred Hitchcock. And they're interviewing... um, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm forgetting her name. From Orange is the New Black. Oh, um, uh, Laverne Cox. Cox, yes, Laverne Cox. They're interviewing Laverne Cox and she's talking about how like... Hitchcock had so many movies about like cross-dressers and people who pretend mm. to be women. Um, and she was like, Alfred, speak to us from beyond the grave. Like what's going on? <laughs> um, so oh it'll be interesting God. to see if she continues to explore this idea of like, you know, kind of some trans themes. Um, yeah, but, I yeah. I agree. I, like uh, Julia has a really good interview with Sharon Stone, I think, where she talks about like how she wanted her film to be about like breaking down gender binaries and like mm-hmm. not seeing gender in any kind of binary, mm-hmm. which I think is um, I think she did that very well. Um, and yeah, I would agree um, with you that um, trans transgenderism is is a pretty big theme in this film and you could definitely read alexia's character as trans um yeah yeah i mean you and even like you know where i was saying how there was a brief moment where i thought that vincent was maybe doing hormone injections like yeah how Mm -hmm. different is it really for a man to take testosterone steroids and for me to do my own tea shots you know like we are literally doing the same thing no, exactly. Like I thought of that when you brought it up because th- there's, there's like certain um, I forget what the term is. Um, like there are certain procedures and surgeries that are like codified by society as okay, 
like for mm-hmm. cisgender people to do mm-hmm. um to inhabit their gender more fully but mm-hmm. if it's for instance like a woman getting plastic surgery or changing yeah. her hair color or doing like even just like basic things like makeup skincare um yeah. and then like you're saying with vincent taking testosterone because he's like i think he his character presents as traditionally a traditionally yes. guy's guy and he's like um, in a very masculine coded line of field which is yes. like firefighting EMT yeah. and he like acknowledges he's aging and he wants to maintain that level of yeah. I guess virility or um, strength that he yeah. he believes he as a man should have yeah. and that's Absolutely. all like considered by society as okay but mm-hmm. with you know um, if someone's transgender and they get um like what what what's the term if you're a transgender woman i believe it's like facial feminization surgery yeah you get ffs um, but yeah it's like FFS. that mm. is so yeah and there's so many different i think that that's a really i thank you for bringing that up because that is something that is um just one of like a very clear case of systemic transphobia is that like a woman mm-hmm. can get a nose job and people can be like, oh, you're just inhabiting your body. You just want to feel beautiful. Yeah. You just want to, like the reflection exactly. you see in the mirror to match who you see yourself as. But then when a trans woman wants to get a nose job, it's like, well, you got to mm-hmm. go to a psychiatrist and a therapist. And like, you got to like live as a woman for a year. And, you know, like yeah. there um, the the requirements around feminizing or masculinizing medical procedures for trans people are so different than for cis people you know where like you know cis women get breast augmentations all the time and that is not seen as um I mean some people actually I mean there are people who think that the pressure to get plastic surgery that that misogyny does kind of contribute to a culture mm-hmm. of plastic surgery, which I think is like a very valid and real thing to talk about. But I think that mm-hmm. the problems that people have with a cis woman getting a, a boob job or a breast augmentation and the problems that they have with a trans woman getting a breast augmentation are very different. Um, and mm-hmm. so in a way that is like just comes to down to transphobia. Um, so I think that that the way that I don't know that this person that Julia Durkinau was necessarily like thinking in literal terms about this as a trans narrative but I think that subconsciously that is what's happening and even if it wasn't her intent you know like we talked uh, with Nosferatu we talked a lot about the effect of a film as separate from the artist's intention and this is another film where like even if that never in a million years crossed Julia Ducournau's mind, which I highly doubt would be the case, um, mm-hmm. this film still very much can be read as a story about transness. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Um, I know you mentioned also you wanted to talk about the music. Oh, well, I just think like, well, that the thing with that really was that because because we went from a film from the early 1930s to the early um, 2020s, you know, music plays such a different role in this film than it has in any of the films we've talked about up to this point, you know, where we have like 
kind of a soundtrack that is essentially like popular music like it's there are mm-hmm. scores there um there are like scored aspects of this but a lot of the music is um like the song that's playing during the car show is a cover of i think a famous song by um who are the guys who did it's like why'd you only call me when you're high i think that it's a cover of the song by them um but then there's like Let me see there's this like there's a scene where she's not there is playing and i was like it was another mm-hmm. moment where it's like it's not subtle but i'm having fun um you know where yeah where it's like she's not there and then she's kind of like doing crazy stuff like writhing around on screen and like um right yeah or like we have a character named conscience or something but i think that you know during the car it was called doing it to death by the kills okay so not that band at all but yes the (laughs) kills okay i do know that yeah but so and not a cover either then um, but I think that like one thing is that films and storytelling has become a lot more complex. Um, you know, mm-hmm. like even just looking at something like that intro sequence with the car parts, like that title sequence is undeniably part of the storytelling. And so like all of the films that we've talked about on this show, beforehand the title cards were just there to convey information about what the film like the film and who made it and who's in it and you know this title sequence is like it establishes setting it establishes one of the most prevalent visual motifs throughout the film it's you know what we talked about in terms of the sound going from non-diegetic to diegetic like those are all complexities that we had not developed at the time that, Mm -hmm. you know, Nosferatu and Dracula and Dracula and vampire or vampire, you know, um, and the music I think was part of that as well. And I think some of that is down to just music that has lyrics um, because it's like you're at some level, you're going to experience that kind of like dialogue. Um, So Mm -hmm. I think that that was just one of the ways that I felt that, that 90 year jump you know yeah yeah absolutely Um, this episode is becoming a bit long but this is a really complex film but one thing that i wanted to say is that i actually do feel like there are connections to vampirism here um because i think that you can i think that you can see alexia as someone like i think the idea of being parasitic, I think, comes up, you know, where like she deceives this man so that she can insert himself into her life and kind of sustain herself through that, mm-hmm. you know, because she would mm-hmm. just be in prison or whatever if she hadn't kind of latched on to his life. And mm-hmm. then clearly she is horrified by her pregnancy which is another thing Mm -hmm. that could be connected to like the trans aspects of this narrative but she clearly is terrified of this pregnancy and wishes it wasn't happening she literally tries to give herself an abortion she's also shown punching Mm -hmm. her stomach at one point um 
So there's like pregnancy as this vampiric or parasitic force that's mm. like, you know, this baby, this evil baby that she, you know, the, that she doesn't want, you know, could also be viewed as kind of like vampiric in a way. And, um, you know, just that her role is as this like kind of unfeeling, like, wolf in sheep's clothing that just kills mm -hmm. indiscriminately for her own pleasure um those mm. things feel vampiric to me yeah like we see her invade the domestic space with that house mm. and yes. all its guests which as we've discussed a lot of vampire media shows which is like this uh theme of the invasion of like the domestic or the suburban or like the quote-unquote like mm -hmm civil society as understood by like western culture kind of mm -hmm. um so yeah we i definitely agree that she inhabits a vampiric role um but the baby that she doesn't want can also be seen as like a vampiric or kind of parasitic mm -hmm. force as well yeah and just even like that vampire films in the vampire genre also deals a lot with deviant desire. Um, mm -hmm. And this film is so much about deviant desire. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that just yeah. to bring it full circle, bring it back to the heart of the show, <laughs> that's kind of yeah. my final thought. Um, but thank you so much for suggesting this film. I think this was, this is an amazing movie and I, um, I really liked the conversation that we had it. Um, had about it as well yes. but what about you any final final uh, thoughts any final thoughts is uh i just i really like julia julia de Curnow's work um one sec both of us hosts are um cat family members <laughs> yeah <laughs> So I just had cats to abound let out in my these partner's households. cat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I just love Julia DeCruno's work. I didn't really know what to, I kind of knew what to expect, but also didn't. So I was really just enjoying the ride of this movie because I didn't know where it was going. But mm -hmm. I think Julia DeCruno is just one of the best directors working. And I appreciate that she wants to be so out there with her material and tackle so many complex and like transgressive themes. I think it's a beautiful looking movie. I think the mm -hmm. performances are great, uh, especially from Agatha and Vincent. Uh, they're, they're both really good in this. Yes. And, you know, had, if the Academy Awards actually wasn't just, I don't know, all political and they actually liked good <laughs> out there movies, this movie yeah. would have gotten at least a nod for best international picture. Like it won yeah. the Palm Door, and it didn't get a nod for Best International Picture. Like, okay, yeah, so, that's pretty, um, pretty lame. Of pretty, pretty, like, pretty messed like, up. Yeah, yeah. And for our listeners who aren't aware, the as a they don't know what to do with it. So many horror films that should be nominated are not. Yeah. Yeah, so I think you uh, cracked up a little bit, but you were just saying that, like, you know, our awards circuit, you're right that we don't really engage with horror so much. No, 
which is a shame. But yeah, I really like this movie and I think it, it brings up so many interesting themes and I just can't wait to see what Julia does next. I'm loving her, her oeuvre so far. <laughs> yes, she the oeuvre yeah, is quite um yeah, present. Yeah, present. All right. So can that's that's Titan. That's Titan. Uh, that's we. Titan. Yeah, we did it. Um, we just had three different pronunciations. <laughs> I think you're probably the closest. I, yeah, I I like Titan. I think that's the correct mm-hmm. way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Okay. I mean, if my high school French is anything to go off of. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, so, I just realized. Does Titan mean? titanium do we do we know what titan means yeah oh wow i did not realize wow um yeah. two over two hours later i am catching walls <laughs> <laughs> all right well thank you for listening to another episode of this podcast find us where you get your podcasts on spotify apple music and youtube follow us on social media and give us a like you can find us at that vampire pod on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you guys. And remember, stay bloodthirsty. Catch our next episode on Frank Streer's The Vampire Bat.